Hello and welcome to From the Rooftops, a podcast about superheroes. That's Clay. And that's Stalin. And this week, we're going to talk to you, well, this week, this month, this, this couple of months. Look, I'll come back in. The thing is, <laughs> shit has been happening, yo. Like lots of it, yeah. And I mean, let's be real, we're never the ones to be super current and on things, but yeah. Things have occurred that we've missed. And we would have had something to say about them. You got to and I know all of y'all have been missing us, and we appreciate that. All the letters and bombs and other things you sent to my house. Mhm, mhm. Also, hi Cory. <laughs> Yeah, you shouldn't have signed the pipe bomb, right? Lots, lots, like, it's, is it, isn't it a bit tasteless to joke about sending pipe bombs in America right now? Oh, what, you mean like they're not always being sent at any time? That's a good point, (laughs) that's a good point. Everything sucks and life is a hellscape. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna talk to you about superheroes, how Danny sucks, and we're gonna talk about a communist philosopher from the 1930s. <laughs> Real approachable shit. Yeah. So, uh, this is like sort of re- tangentially related to our discussion about identity before in terms of, you know, the conception of the self, I guess is what you would say. Yeah. Um, and, and, and this, this relates to theory of mind and theory of the self. But before we dive into that and I start breaking out my citations and whatnot, just to clarify, like what's happened since we since we last did a, a recording, um, because like the episode that came out in August, that episode like didn't that that episode hadn't uh, 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 landed. That was recorded even earlier than August. So let's see. Um, Daredevil season three came out. Black Lightning Season 2 started, and I don't think it's finished yet. The whole season of DC uh, television stuff is going right now. So that's yeah. like seven fucking TV shows or whatever, who knows. Uh, uh, we've had, what, what, two movies? Three, two movies? No. Actually, I don't think Justice anything. League hit Netflix, which made it was more available to me. <laughs> um, and of course, lots of, like, I think at least two events have popped off since then. Well, concurrent. Yeah. Like, the, 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 the latest, uh, x-men thing is actually starting right now so we'll see how that plays out uh i don't want to call it disassembled i think it's called no i actually think it's called disassembled they're that shameless which i can admire you know <laughs> x-men disassembled um uh like two or three justice league books got coagulated which i actually like um just a lot of shit in general and like i said we had a news channel so, no one comes to us for that. Yeah, we're not those people. We're not those people. I I have a degree in media studies, and I talk about the idea of narrativology. I mean, like, you don't come to this this guy for the hot, immediate takes. Yeah, we're not going to talk about castings, even if Brendan Fraser did get cast as Machine Man. You heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> I think the funniest thing about that is that was my fault from like months ago when I did the fucking robot man <laughs> thing. <laughs> and I mean, I, I gave you specific sites. I mentioned Aaron Stack and you were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're robot man. Like, <laughs> something's not adding up here. 
look, uh, he's got like the little purple pants and Aaron has a purple outfit. So it kind of, you know. <laughs> uh, but, but, but yeah, and we do apologize. Like between like work and family stuff and just everything going on in the world, it can be hard. And I'll be honest, most of the days for the last couple of months, I got it. I haven't had days off consecutively. And so mm-hmm. and I just have short days. And now I'm having days off. Today is a day off, which is fantastic. Uh, and in my case, I picked up a semester of teaching, which meant I got to be for uh, a, a semester on the Dream Meme Team at my university, teaching first year students how to make memes. You, you feel good about that? I look. <laughs> students are good. Huh? I, I I had a, a I had a lovely array of really cool excellent thoughtful students who most of what happened was a communication error between me and them and maybe there was some ding-dongs mixed in amongst all of it but broadly speaking i like my students that's good that's good and you're not just saying that because you're on record and they can hear you well also like i this is absolutely unironically but i think it's just one of the shittiest things you could do to to bag on students who have no real like counterpoint so i i i don't get me wrong i'm gonna share some stories about the funniest things students have done but i'm not gonna like you know yes that student who's a total dink like one of one of the students not one of my students accidentally submitted pornography of pepe the frog sucking his own dick as homework (laughs) at least that's in character you know yeah it's not like it's not like all the venom porn yeah, well, man, you, you know my opinion. Venom came out. Oh my god, Venom oh, yeah. came out. Oh. How did I forget that? Oh. <laughs> can that movie hurry up and hit Netflix so I can hate it in detail? Because I'm not going to pay to watch it. Well, look, it's, it's 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 better to be a one or a ten. At least it's not a five. At least it's not Justice League. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like. Don't, don't don't get me wrong, like. Get a good reaction. Get a heck of a reaction. Leave an, I, I think, leave an impact. <laughs> I think... I, I, it's like Justice League. I saw that. And if anyone reads my blog, which is... <laughs> um, but if you've read my blog, you already know my opinion of it wasn't good. But particularly, I didn't realize just how bad it was being until while I'm watching it. I, I'm watching it with the headphones off. just sitting here and Fox is doing her own thing and someone talks to Aquaman and then calls him Arthur and I hear Fox yell from the next room fucking Arthur Arthur Curry (laughs) it's not a good name it's not a cool thing to call him that's been his name forever oh so what's see I was gonna say oh so what King Arthur's not cool and you would've been like yeah yeah he's not No, no, King Arthur isn't cool. That's a stolen myth. That's from my people, and the English took it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We want to get in those. You want to get in on those myths, man? So is that Arthur's fault? Is that his fault? <laughs> the thing is, the English have the least interesting myths when you actually cook them back to their sources. Because they're mostly, we turned up and took all this stuff from the people who are already on this island. And there were these people called Jutes, apparently. Anyway. 
So the thing with Aquaman in the Justice League movie is that he so clearly projected a character that not only would no one ever call Aquaman, and so when someone did, it was really forced and weird, but he would never call himself Aquaman. And now we segue into the topic of today's episode, folks. (laughs) Yeah, which is- I'm still really mad at superheroes who are embarrassed of being superheroes. Yeah, or as I was calling it, the yellow spandex issue. Uh, yeah, and go, feel, feel free to feel free to expound on that. I I know I've no, followed on this I, a bit. That doesn't bother me as much, but I remember that really like stuck in your like craw a good while ago. And yeah. like and like visually, I know you've kind of softened on that idea, but like mm-hmm. what that represents or that moment at the very least represents yes. is still something that you know that is the same topic you know yeah absolutely um so to clarify for the listener who doesn't want to necessarily dig through 30 hours of podcasts to work out what the fuck i'm talking about um the yellow spandex moment is a reference to in the first of the brian singer x-men movies a moment where wolverine is zipping up his plain black leather biker gear um, behind Cyclops in his plain black leather biker gear and offhandedly remarks that the gear is pretty nice. And Cyclops says, well, what would you rather? Yellow spandex. Well, he doesn't. And That's the funny thing. He's not really complimenting the outfits. He says, hey, you guys go out in this? So yeah, even, right, even yeah. in that context, he's still making and fun of like the barest concession to superhero narrative where he's like, here's like just a biker outfit, but it's still silly, right? Like a costume. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then they use that position to take a pot shot at bright colored yellow spandex. And at the time, I mean, certainly when we started doing this podcast, I was even more aggressively angry about this, uh, where the idea of making superhero fiction that didn't include brightly colored ridiculous outfits was like really, uh, uh, angering. But. I have since had some conversations with some wonderful people who work in costuming and lighting. Oh, yeah. Yellow and is a tough color. <laughs> yeah, yellow is hard. And uh, yellow on white people is incredibly hard. Um, Man, and, yellow, and so, yellow like, on light-skinned black dudes can be a problem. I don't wear a lot of yellow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and uh, yellow, yellow is also really rough on women's bodies as well. Uh, because it, the, the way it interacts with shadows and the color palette we use for movie making, especially, errs very heavily on using, uh, sky blue and saturated orange as contrast points, otherwise known as white people near an explosion. And that makes uh, a whole range of other colors just no go zones. And so I, I am. I think I've softened on my stance of you should always use brightly colored characters, but I still think that the disdain for brightly colored characters is a problem. And even so like that, 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 that's the that's the slightly more nuanced version of the take. Yeah, um, you go on. And like this is again relative to the name, where you have these characters who would necessarily, you know, that they were not using the names all the time. You know, people don't say Superman to or Superman. at all. Yeah. And that's, again, relative to, you know, the tone issue they want to set in a lot of these films. But within the narrative, that's its own conversation. Just about, you know, how you choose to reference yourself and how other people reference you and how you perceive how they, you know, how they choose that. And 
you know, the, the idea of names and identity is a big thing in superhero concepts because, like as we said, a superhero may have multiple identities. It actually feels weird to just have superheroes with just their street name, you know? Like, John Constantine is not really a superhero. That's why he's in the same space. No. And he's even been on ugh, versions of the Justice League, which I have issues yeah, with. Yeah, no, no, don't, no, don't, no, don't, no, no. I'm so mad about that. But, but yeah, like, if you, if, if Steve Rogers, when Steve Rogers started calling himself Captain Rogers or Commander Rogers, director of S.H.I.E.L.D., we stopped viewing him as a superhero. He just became like a spy. Nick Fury is yep. not a superhero because he hasn't. Uh, when, when, um, when Nightwing did the Grayson series. Yep, exactly. They had to call it Grayson because mm-hmm. it's basically 007 in the DC universe. Yeah. And the, it's interesting. Using, using incidentally, one of the only, uh, uh, actually, that, here, here's, here's a language challenge. Dick Grayson isn't white, but he is accepted by whiteness. Mm. So I wouldn't call him a character of color, but he's definitely in, he's in this really odd place because one of the things about being a person of color in, in like genealogical senses is it usually means you are cut off from infrastructural power and wealth, but he was adopted by a billionaire and he looks white enough that the cops are never going to pull him over. So, eh. And then there's also the aspect that like, you know, retcons and continuity and like, what was Dick Grayson when he first popped out of that, like, you know, poster, you know, and, and like Batman number 40 something. What was he? Yeah. Probably a little white boy, you know? And like. Oh, no, no. Back, back, back when, back when Dick Grayson started, the, the flying Graysons were, forgive the word, but they were referred to in the comic as gypsies. Do we have the actual old, what I'm saying is original Bob Kane, Bill Finger. Like, is there. Oh, okay. Right, right. Right. I, I don't know that. I do not know that one for sure. So I would I would have to look up that original comic to get a, a good grasp on that. I just remember very clearly old comics introducing Nightwing and showing the flying Graysons and like his dad is the Romani stereotype of a giant barrel chested guy in a white and blue striped shirt with a big mustache and a red bandana. Oh like, yeah. They they weren't subtle. See the, the thing is that's what I picture too, and I picture that if I remember correctly from like Nightwing Year One or which was like late nineties, I want to say, because like it was, it, it took place in like Night, Nightwing number like fifty to like fifty four or something like that. It was just like a, they just did it in the middle, and yeah, I think you know, that, might be right there. And that, that when he teamed when he when Dead Man was around, like he was in Haley Circus too, and they had like a whole thing. I remember that, and I remember very modern ish art for that. But yeah, no, like and the other like you take it the same structure, like James Bond. 007, but that's not a superhero identity. You know what I mean? Even though he's, even yeah. though he has a title given, to, bestowed to him on, by other people, that's a different sort of thing. And this ties back into our premise that part of what the superhero needed was an anchor to normalcy. If you're constantly normal, you're not in need of an anchor. Mm. Um, there, the, the idea that I wanted the, the idea that I somewhat awkwardly wanted to bring to bear on this uh, from my academic reading is an idea by W.E.B. Dubois. Uh, sorry, Dubois. Dubois. Couple of couple of versions for the edit. Dubois. Uh, w. <laughs> W.E.B. Dubois. And yeah, I, I, this 
this guy, if you don't know about him, is oh, it's Du Bois. Thanks, thanks Wikipedia. <clears throat> uh, an idea from W. E. B. Du Bois, who was an American sociologist, historian, civil rights activist, Pan Africanist author, writer, and editor. Uh, born in the 1860s, and he passed away in the 1960s, and he wrote about a variety of different philosophical concepts, one of which is the idea of the double consciousness. Uh, and um, to give a really rough rundown of double consciousness, because this is very much rooted in black academia and black studies, this is like, this is a very American blackness concept. So I, you know, I am- I am white. I'm not American. I, hmm. I am quite possibly misrepresenting this idea. And if someone who is an expert on the subject wants to tell you that I'm full of crap, please trust them, not me. But the idea, as I understand it, is the notion that in America at the time, black people had to both have the consciousness of who they were, what they wanted to do, how they wanted to express themselves, the ideas they had. And seeing themselves through the eyes of what a racist white person looking at them would see. So there was a constant pressure to be uh, both a model, so you weren't directly affected by the punishment of the external, and also be true to yourself. So this is a big, serious, quite morbid topic, really, about the intersection of like identity and race. But the term double consciousness that comes from it is is really useful for this idea in superheroics because there is the you that is doing and then there is the you that you think of as being perceived by other people. Mm. And this is um this is where the, the idea of, oh, yep. Go on. I think this is where the idea of like how does your superhero like Again what I was saying, if you do you call yourself Superman or do people call you Superman? And who is doing? Like, does Clark call himself Superman or does he call Superman Cal L or anything of that nature? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, what does the? Uh, and, oh, and just just a, just to add, the source of this is the book The Souls of Black Folk. Mm. So yeah, that's that's my out on that. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, that's a classic bit of literature that everybody should pick up. Not literature, excuse me, of writing, but. I mean, it is it is literature. It's, but, it's, it's definitely worthy of being called literature. But yeah, the in, re- in regards to this, like that's not again that's deeper subject matter that doesn't get picked up a lot by a lot of writers in that context. You know, for black characters because most of them are white, and most of them aren't gonna go there. You'll you might see this a bit more with like legacy characters, you know. There's the uh, thing with Bendis' uh, Miles, where he didn't want to be viewed as Black Spider-Man. He wanted to be viewed as just yeah. Spider-Man. And, it's... Oh, 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 oh. and now he's yeah. interrupted. <laughs> <laughs> now he's Miles Morales in his own movie. There's also the fucking <laughs> the, the, the long period of time in which uh, Rhodey was being Iron Man. Like, actually playing Iron Man in... Because yeah, th- this was still during the you know bodyguard era, and there was mm. <laughs> if you if you like randomly go back to some old issues of like like I want to say Secret Wars or maybe it was Infinity War, and you'll just have these asides of what looks like Iron Man having this inexplicable like crisis of identity, and like I hope everyone doesn't find out I'm not Iron Man, <laughs> and I don't think he ever <laughs> took off the mask because that was a crossover. So that was being written by somebody else. 
you know? And, they and just- at the same time, you're in the suit, dude. You're Iron Man. You're, you're Iron Man enough. Yeah. But, you know, um, uh, it's kind of similar to the whole idea of, like, mutation as a, 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 a access of identity and, like, what we were discussing with, like, Jean Grey, where she has this thing going on and nobody knows it unless they, you know, make draw attention to it and you can, you know, hide it, you know, like, sort of a metaphor for being Jewish in a hostile environment sort of thing. Yeah. The idea that you have to maintain these two halves of yourself. And it, it's like, it's heavy material. And it, and even when you're not getting into the depth of it like that, there's, there's yeah. always going to be some part of it in the writing. And <sighs> that, that's, again, that's something I would love to see someone go into, like, with actual complexity. Like, <sighs> I just think about, like, the arguments I've seen Blue Marvel and Luke Cage had, you know, because mm-hmm. Blue Marvel's like basically a Superman stuff. He's like a Kryptonian almost. Who yeah. set out the civil rights movement, right? <laughs> because yeah. it would, because he's like, oh, if I show up, that'll throw, if, if I'm a superpowered man, you know, taking the right side of this argument, uh, that would cause disruption and possibly war and yada yada. You know, he had to maintain I mean, his image. If- and, and, and like that seems at, that seems hypothetically like a really, uh, that, that one's a really interesting example because from the perspective of, for example, whiteness, the idea that if I step in and make people do the right thing, then I'm, I'm, I'm imposing and maybe that's not the morally best way to do it, right? And that sounds momentarily like the morally more thoughtful position until you remember that your failure to act is getting people killed. And, like, the experience of suffering oppression is so much worse than, yes, but we're only being nice to you because someone very strong will beat us up if we aren't nice to you. Because once once you make it unacceptable to do the wrong thing, people's attitudes towards what's the wrong thing will change. Well, okay, so this was actually, like, the original Blue Marvel story was, it was written by Kevin Graveau. It was a black man with, like, the, one of the most amazing voices in Hollywood. You should just listen to him talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you ever seen Underworld, he was one of the big werewolf dudes. Yeah. He also wrote that movie, so. <laughs> well, he, he got, he got like, three that. lines and then he got stabbed in the face. Yeah. yeah. But, um, he wrote Blue Marvel, and my perception of that narrative was, at the time, that he was discouraged by the U.S. government for getting involved. And then, because they thought that would cause, like, a war. If, you know, because now instead of just sort of, you know, oppressing them, we'd have to exterminate them because they have a fucking Kryptonian, you know? And that would be a thing. But then, yeah. of course, when it comes out that he's black, he basically gets shunned into hiding anyway. So it's like, you made that sacrifice, and this is how they treated you. It was sort of my interpretation, you know? Yeah. Like, that was not an admirable thing he did. Not in that text. Uh, yeah. Then you have, oh god, who was writing Mighty Avengers at the time? Uh, Al Ewing. Uh, I don't know when you're talking about, so I can't help. Um, 2012. Uh, Blue Marvel was like early 2000s, like 2003 or 4. And, uh, oh, okay. Mighty so 2012. Avenger, yeah. Mighty Avengers was Al Ewing with Luke Cage and like Blue Marvel and Blade secretly and a bunch of other people. And, they, they, Billy they, Rex? Huh? And they, 
just gotten a big fucking argument about that, where Luke Cage was saying that, you know, you weren't there to present the image of someone, you know, to aspire to, because you disappeared, you know, in like the 60s. You know, when I was maybe, well, no, Luke Cage would have been, in that timeline, he would have been born in like the 70s. (laughs) Regardless of when he was created, Luke Cage now, in like his mid-30s, would be born in like the late 70s, early 80s. And I mean, and this is this is one of the challenges of Marvel Universe in that everything happened a few months ago. Like, when did the civil rights thing happen? Uh, A couple of years ago. (laughs) Well, no, so you can't do that. No, you can't. No, it kind of breaks down, doesn't it? They make they make they they make a huge point of that, where where you know they kind of create Luke Cage's dad to have been a guy around doing stuff in the seventies. Yeah, but funnily enough. Blue Marvel can still be alive. Blade can still be alive. So they all teamed up like, yeah, Luke, we knew your dad. <laughs> Despite the fact that the Blade and Luke Cage came out around the same time. What's funny is I feel, I guess it's a tangent, but I feel like they could probably make the same fucking bullshit, like, thing where they're like, oh yeah, the, uh, the uh, experiment also slowed your aging. So you're like 90 years old, but <laughs> mm-hmm. they want him to be more cool so, than that. So... The thing, the thing about this that gets in my craw about superheroes being unwilling to recognize themselves as superheroes and unwilling to start using the secondary name elements of being a superhero mm-hmm. is to do that is a creative act. If you are, let's, let's get an example that isn't like Luke Cage and Danny Rand are both bad examples for extenuating circumstances. So we'll set them aside. Uh, let's just look at Daredevil. All right. Mm. Daredevil having an identity that is a persona means that he had to, at some point in his head, go, this is how that persona should be. Here is what I want to project while I am like this. And that is a creative act, and you can't commit that kind of creative act without an audience in mind, even if that audience is yourself. So uh, Batman is one of the best examples. Because oh, yeah. Batman says, I'm going to do this to scare criminals. This will be spooky. And so the Batman persona, as he created, plays on a lot of like very reasonable fears at the time in – even even brightly colored blue and gray and yellow batman of the uh, of the 1960s and 50s that guy was still trying to make criminals frightened of doing crime partly out of superstition about bats but also because he wasn't a cop he wasn't beholden to the police rules and he could mess up what they were doing out of nowhere and they would be in trouble in a way they couldn't just corrupt cop their way out of so 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 for daredevil the audience he has is basically hell's kitchen the the criminal element of hell's kitchen and what does he want to project to them he wants to scare them uh daredevil the character at least in the couple of books i've read and in uh not not daredevil the character as created by the people writing the book but Daredevil, the character created by Matt Murdock, makes choices. He doesn't talk. He's very threatening. He moves very aggressively. And it's interesting there because there's a there's an aspect of like creation 
at the moment of you know, like conception of the of the identity, and then there's like, representing it after the fact. Like what you like showing up in a Daredevil costume means something more like three years into Daredevil's career than it does when you first show up. I mean that that kind of goes into like how Batman is more intentional in that, right? Because he says I am specifically making this whole persona, whereas like when when other characters I like when you do the thing where you have to throw suspicion off of your dual identity, you'll have your friend with vaguely similar powers and build show up in your outfit, right? The and, diggle. Mm-hmm. The diggle. Yeah. <laughs> do the diggle. <laughs> damn. Damn. So you'll be black driver? <laughs> oh man, poor <laughs> But anyway, yeah, that whole thing, like, like you get more loose with it over time, right? Because you don't have to put that much work into being Daredevil once everybody has a notion of what Daredevil is. So, and that kind of like, like obviously when it happens in comics, it's mostly just because different writers and time. But you can also view it as like once you're established, once there's a an idea of who you are, you can just show up and have the image, and you don't have to put on as much because the image now means something. You've created a language that people speak, you know, and that's when you you know develop shorthand, so to speak. And uh, yeah, then this is where we can look at the whole thing of him like like discarding the Daredevil costume in the third season, third season, because it's like, well, uh. yeah, right. Like, because now he, like, people know who he is, kind of, at that point. Do, do you want to get me in on third season Daredevil? That's do, why I'm Do you want this, this to just be that's why we're doing an hour of shouting? I, that's why we're here. <laughs> uh, okay, so, in Daredevil season three, I will, minus spoiler, uh, someone uses the Daredevil suit that isn't Daredevil. Uh, and it's not in collaboration with Daredevil. And that is... I think an interesting example of how, uh, when you use your persona as a language, like Clay outlined, that language can be subverted. That can be taken from you. Um, now in the context of Daredevil, it also doesn't mean much. Like, Daredevil's, Daredevil's costume is both replicable, but so is so much of what he does. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think, uh, Apparently it's good enough. It's not. Apparently it's not good enough to cash a check. Because Spider Man once tried to cash a check as Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't work. Yeah. Well, you know that's that is that is something that the uh, the tabletop role playing game Aberrant actually makes a big deal about, where uh, your public persona is a legally distinct person, and therefore that person can be sued <laughs> without it necessarily suing the person under the mask. Um, but in the context of uh, um, Daredevil losing and fighting over his identity in season three, that's that's another thing I have a lot of beef with. Like, I think Daredevil season three was quite bad. Um, three good fight scenes, really good fight scenes. I liked those fight scenes a lot. Almost everything about the rest of the season was really bad. I kept thinking um, that this was kind of like when he got shot in the face by the Punisher. Like, the first episode of two was like, oh, we're just doing all this to... You know, set up a new, better suit or something, you know? Yeah. And it was like, no, we're just going to, I guess, I I get the sense that they thought this is when we had the most amount of hype for our show. Our character was in that first season with that look and we want to yeah. bring that back. 
but it's like yeah eh, that that wasn't the only that, that wasn't i mean obviously they're like they're playing around with um uh, uh born again you know that the storyline where yeah but this is where I, and yeah this is where adaptation muddies the waters right yeah, and, and the adaptation also has to run into other pragmatic problems, which is, it it might well be, I, I don't know this, it might well be that that suit is super hard to do stunts in. It might be that they only use that suit in two fights, uh, two good fights in the entire season because the stuntmen who they have to pay said, look, it'll cost this much to get those fight scenes done. Like that might be that might be it. It really might be that pragmatic, and I have some sympathy there. But the solution to that, in my mind, is not to comply with the continual trend in superhero media being converted to live action of being embarrassed of being a superhero. I mean that the 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 false you know the the pretender is always a big fucking thing. I mean, because that's... It's, and it's not just about, oh, I have to fight a person who's similar to me. It's also about, like, control of your image. Every time Spider-Man yeah. has this thing happen to him because of Mysterio or Chameleon, it's, you know, it's always fucking fuel to the fire of J. Jonah Jameson. Like, if... I'm pretty... I'd be surprised, yeah. you know? Like, and that... And, and that, in, and that, on that note, J. Jonah Jameson is excellent because it means that in-universe, the fact that it happens multiple times is actually having an influence on an individual that has some degree of influence on the population. The the thing with Daredevil about the fake identity that's actually kind of annoying is in the context of the Daredevil live action universe, Daredevil has been costuming for six months and then he disappeared. God, and that's it. it. Real? Is that really like the timeline? Is that, it's that even... short. Well, I mean, again, like Hell's Kitchen is also that fucking small. <laughs> yeah, it's it's... Well, that's the thing. It's a block in New York City. And so, from my perspective, it's enormous. <laughs> like, when people say, oh, I just walked I just walked two blocks. I'm like, yeah, so? You look out of breath. What's wrong with you? Are your legs made of jello? <laughs> like, no, actually, a block in America is enormous. It, uh, but it, it's... So, like, the, the, we can the, look at the, the whole thing. Timeline of events, it, the timeline of events in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a little wobbly, but for the most part, when you look at the Defenders as a lineup, right? You have Danny, who sucks, you have Matt, Jessica, and Luke. And of those four characters who are meant to represent a super team, Jessica Jones resents the idea of being a superhero and is proactively hostile to people who compare her to one. Danny sucks. Matt rebels against the idea of being a superhero repeatedly um, and doesn't like using the name and ditches the costume as like a whole season event. And only Luke Cage cares about the image of the persona he projects to the people around him. And he's using a name that looks like it's a real name. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. how many times did they make the joke about, hey, Power Man. It's like, Power Man. You know? Like, yeah. I mean- And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that Luke Cage should be calling himself Power Man, because Power Man's a bad name and it sucks. Uh, I, I think Luke Cage is a really excellent character to do what he's doing, especially because he's a big, tough black man. Mm. And I, I, you know- I'm not in the situation, I can't say for sure, but I'm pretty sure black men who are large and physically fit definitely have 
a way they are treated by the world around them that relates to how they look. Yeah, and like when we talk about like like the adoption of image, like this is like again relative to legacy characters. And we can talk about the uh the reign of the Superman situation, you know, Steel, Superboy, Eradicator, and yeah. Cyborg Superman. Like Yeah. That dynamic of like diluting is it diluting? What would be a good way to describe that? Because that's its own fucking thing. Because you have explain your concept, and I will try and give it a word. Okay, so we have Superman. We all have a strong idea of what Superman is. It may not be all the same idea, but similar enough that we can agree to disagree on small things. Uh, yeah, Superman. Yeah. He dies as he as you do in comics eventually. Uh, and we have you know our five replacement temporary Superman. You have Steel, who is identifying himself as a separate character with no association, who chooses to represent what he thinks Superman stands for. We have Superboy, uh, Connell, Connor Kent, or the Metropolis Kid, who is mm-hmm. like, in similar terms, I'm not Superman, but I'm doing what I think Superman should do. And I'm cooler than Superman. <laughs> uh, then you have uh, Eradicator, who people confused for Superman, but I don't think ever claims to be. Like, in fact, as, no. I, he, everyone just assumes because he looks just like him and he does all the things. And then you have yeah, Cyborg. Like not, not, too, not too comprehensively claim about the text, but I'm very confident that Eradicator gets called Superman and he refers to being uh, entitled to the to the uh, respect of Superman. But he right. doesn't seem to say that he is Superman. And Cyborg Superman claims to be Superman, but isn't. Right? Yeah. And what, like... What does that, what would we can call that treatment of the public image and identity within the narrative of Superman? Like, uh, I, I do think that dilute is actually a decent term because in each case, so, so in media studies, what we would say is that each of these characters is a lens to look at the idea of Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also is a very temporal thing. Like those four characters very much represent trends in comics at the time and visions of how superheroes should be. Uh, very briefly, I think it was the original Nightwing who was a Batman character. So no, no, the, the original Nightwing was, was super- basically what if Superman was Batman? Right. Like what if he was a superpowered tech dude? And then they went, oh wow, this character would suck. And then they, you know, quietly shuffled him off onto another planet. Um, well, no, um, the actual plot was, if I recall, Superman and Batman were in Candor. And so, you know, when you're in Candor. Oh, yes, the Bottle City. Right. And so they were, like, fighting crime, like, in Batman style, with, like, Superman sort of being the Batman of Nightwing, and Batman being the Robin of Flamebird, because I guess Superman knows his way around and, you know, interact with the Candorians. Yep. And, and then that was, like, the original, like, Golden Age version. And, then later it was sort of retroactively turned into like a historical figure in the House of L, who was kind of like a, I want to say like, is the Scarlet Pimpernel who like fought for his like honor of his family. He like got outcasted. Am I remembering that story correctly? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, sort of. Like that's an abridged version of the Scarlet Pimpernel, but go on. Yeah, but that's sort of what he described Nightwing as to Dick Grayson. During a moment of, you know, crisis of conscience. And, yeah. And so, again, we go back to, like, the, the five alternate Superman in that regard. Yeah, we have these different trends of, like, what... <sighs> That's the thing about, like, 
when you go into like author intent because like we can say that they maybe never intended for those characters to become the new real superman but Mm. like maybe they did maybe they didn't i bet you if it had worked they would have you know? Yeah, there's a there's a, a challenge that comes up here when it comes to authorial intent, uh, because there is both the story that we are told and the story that the authors tell themselves to tell us. So for like, they might they might well have done that if any of those characters had been so successful that they had overtaken the original Superman in popularity, they probably were in a position to just say yeah and this was the plan all along mm. so it's kind of hard it's kind of hard to make that kind of commentary quite seriously um as a as a uh, a media critic i actually have come to be very down on authorial intent especially when it comes to comic books because you can you can talk about what an author was trying to do or what you what an author said they were trying to do but that's really just another interesting story being told to you by a storyteller mm. because there's a lot of times where they try to do something and completely fail at it. Or there's times where they're trying not to do something and they completely fail at it. Um, Dazzler was originally meant to be, like, the hotness in in comic book characters. They were trying to push her to be basically Marvel's Superman level of popularity and attention with a TV series and a movie nice. and a musical and all sorts of stuff. And because it didn't happen, Dazzler just got shuffled to the side Um they also weren't expecting Dazzler to come across as so incredibly gay twenty years later. <laughs> I, I'm I'm serious. If you wear a a low zip down um spangled jumpsuit and roller skates and have pink hair with side shaves in the nineties, I'm sorry, you're projecting kind of an industrial strength lesbian vibe there. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, no, like again, like discussing the authorial intent of that is a bit, you know, just, you know, iffy. But we talk about how it is in the story. Like, what I'm saying is... Yeah. Do we think... That's the funny thing. In universe, in text, these characters are interpretable. Mm -hmm. And so, we can actually say, no, look, like, the reason Danny doesn't put on the costume is Danny doesn't think the costume would be good to put on. And that that gets me because leaving out of Defenders, we're led to believe that he's going to take on not necessarily the role of Daredevil, but the function of Daredevil. So then, <laughs> yeah, right. That's what that's that's even talks about. Did they it. do anything with that? Did they fuck? You, I'm sitting there like, okay, so now here's how we get Iron Fist because he's like, okay, now I got to be a costume crime fighter, and he even <laughs> talks about what he's doing as if that's what he's doing, <laughs> right? Iron Fist is so bad. Like he says. I've made a promise to Matt Murdock, and I'm trying to uphold his legacy. Hey, Matt Murdock. Yeah. They, well, Matt Murdock did a, a quite a few things that you are not doing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, what is what was his perception of what Matt Murdock is doing? Let's think about that. Let's think about what did Danny, who looked at Matt, saw what he was doing, and interpreted it as such that he would then go do what he was doing in season two. What, what's the let's what's the narrative there? And I'm. Positing this question to you, Talon. <laughs> okay, so two two plot points about season two of Iron Fist and season three of Daredevil that I just need to get out of the way. Number one, at no point in season three of Daredevil is Danny mentioned. So if he was doing anything, it wasn't something Matt noticed, remembered, or cared about. 
Okay. Do okay. I, I'm with you, but just want to say, are we sure those timelines overlap? Uh, yes, because they're stated to. Okay. The the end of Defenders. Danny Danny's like, I will, I will uh, daredevil for the daredevil who cannot daredevil himself anymore, and then he stops, and daredevil t- comes back. Okay. Like I can't see, I can't see how else to interpret that timeline of events. Unless Daredevil was gone for like a weekend, and Danny didn't. They s- they said for like three months, right? Or that's how long he was out. Uh, so there are two plot points that I believe to be connected, and to just minorly spoil them from Daredevil season three and Iron Fist season two, which sucks. Uh, Daredevil begins with uh with with uh Matt Murdock recovering from the injuries he received in Defenders and going out and daredeviling again and iron fist season two starts with danny running around fighting crime at night and referring to doing it for matt and at the end of iron fist he doesn't right he he goes goes off in his adventure to find orson randall's pistols i guess or whatever yeah yeah well (laughs) yeah it's cooler in the comics it's cooler in the comics I'm so angry about Iron Fist season two. <laughs> like Dead Daredevil season three irritates me. De- uh, Iron Fist season two angers me. He got his. He learned his kung fu from Smith and Wesson. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up though, uh, Andrew Cal, his character in Iron Fist season two, he rules. He's like he, he's like he the did- leader of the X Gang, but he has teeth. Yeah. Yeah, he, 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 he plays a guy called Mr. Lou and straight up, no one gave him the memo that he was supposed to suck. <laughs> so he's just great in every scene. <laughs> anyway, so Iron Fist, the character in season two is beating up goons, but he's also going to a late night training space and just beating up a training dummy. And it's revealed later in that season that he would go out to do what Daredevil did and not find anything. And then he would just go beat up the dummy. <laughs> so what we're interpreting this as like Daredevil was handling it. <laughs> you can interpret it as Daredevil is handling it. But I think he would probably mention that that in terms of when Matt got back or when Matt started up again or something like that. Instead, he just says, when I couldn't find anything to do, which kind of implies that, I don't know, Hell's Kitchen just isn't that busy when you've got Danny taking care of it, but Danny sucks. So it's also possible that Danny just couldn't find crime because he doesn't have super senses and able to hear through walls. I don't know. Like- it really feels like there was this whole plot point that they knew they had to touch on, but they didn't want to do anything with, so they resolved it instead by just kind of glancing off it. Does that answer your question? <laughs> no, what I'm saying is, what do you- th- No, that, that's a separate question. I said, what do you- th- The way Danny goes about what he was doing, do you think mm-hmm. that's an accurate like, interpretation as a character? If you were Danny, and you sucked- Yep. And you saw Daredevil doing what yep. he did, and you said, "I'm going to do that." What would be mm-hmm. your what would your interpretation of what Daredevil was doing have to be that it would look like how Danny did it? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure what Danny like Danny is shown in Iron Fist season two as doing 
street level odd jobs as a removalist. Um, which, by the way, that is again another of these virtues of Danny because if a, a scruffy looking white guy with a beard is a billionaire, he can also quite easily not be a billionaire by just being in a different place, holding a different object. Whereas Luke Cage walks into a, uh, a, a, um, what's the word? If, if Luke Cage walks into a boardroom wearing a suit, he's not going to project billionaire. He's going to project person hired by billionaire. It's kind of interesting. I actually have been able to play Assassin's Creed Liberation, you know, the one with uh, Avalon. Because, uh, and you know, they do the outfit thing. Where, like, if you're wearing yeah. a slave outfit, all you have to do to not be noticed is pick up a box and look busy, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that, that right, that right there is a really interesting thing that, uh, I like that as an example, as a game designer, as an example of, uh, an area in which informed black experience gives you a game mechanic. And, like, you could do that with someone else, but the, the, the nature of the period of the time means that there were three distinct identities Avaline could slide into, all with limitations. And I, I, I think that's a really cool idea. I think that's a, a good mechanic. Um, so, so yeah, it would, you know, <laughs> Talon, the respecter of the handheld Assassin Creed's Lee. <laughs> but, like, that of- Known Aquaman respecter. <laughs> You think we're going to see a lot of that in Aquaman, considering, like, a, a good chunk of the plot line is going to be, you know, rejected by the land and sea, and, like, so let's say, I... so here's, let's, let's break him down, right? We've got Arthur Curry. Go on. Yes, Arthur Curry, yep. who's, you know. Arthur. Who, who interacts with the land. We have King Orin, who interacts with the sea, and so is Aquaman, like, the, like, synthesis of that, or what is the position of Aquaman in that dynamic? He's Superman. Really? Just flat? We're gonna go with that? Yeah, I'm going with that. Okay. No, I, I'm like, not so, so, challenging you. I'm just cl- wanna clear this up. So. Alright, so to, to get my beef out there and to put it in more places that people might hear it, I am dead set convinced that the plot of Aquaman is going to be a straight up retread of Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the one plot they have for trying to explain this character. Uh, which is to say basically strong guy who has media cachet. That's all they've got. They don't actually have a moral center. They don't have a vision of, of like ideology or character. They, all they have is branding. Mm-hmm. And so the Aquaman movie that's coming out in, I think it's three weeks now. I am 100% convinced that you are going to be able to map that point for point onto Man of Steel. It might not come out in the same order because Man of Steel was cut to be a asynchronous mess. So Man of Steel starts with a flashback and then it flashbacks into another flashback. So like it's it's garbage. But I think the simple linear plot flow of you are born to a location that doesn't really know you. You were somewhere isolated with a with a strong work ethic. Uh you grew up not quite handling it well. You were bullied. Your your senses didn't work well. We'll put you in situations where you're being bullied as being bullied at like the worst and silliest time to justify you lashing out with power. There'll probably be a really confused moral lesson about, hey, maybe you're not supposed to be the person who solves things for people. Because uh, that's what you want in a superhero movie. Um, and, and it's going to culminate with him righteously coming in and fighting someone almost exactly like him in a way with a ton of collateral damage. Mm. 
And I'm getting all that off the trailer. <laughs> that trailer does reveal... Well, it's, it's Aquaman. But so let, let's actually... Mr. Aquaman Respector, let's look at that and see what... what to do you think Aquaman's interaction with, like, his identity and his perception of his identity should be? Like, yeah, I, you've, yeah, like, well, cause yeah. you've, you've done a good, you've written up a pretty cool, like, plot idea for Aquaman. Yep. That, you know, is available on his blog, everybody. <laughs> um, it's fan fiction. I, I, I'm keep gonna keep rolling. I did, that's not a bad argument, <laughs> no. that is. Um, but, so what would a character like Aquaman's interaction with his self and his perceived self be. Okay, so the, the the problem here is that Aquaman is not a character who has a strong public cachet, and a large portion of the public like discourse about Aquaman is Aquaman sucks. Mm-hmm. So when you tap the current consciousness of who Aquaman is, it's always going to be rebelling against the idea that he sucks. Well, there I, have been I got some two stories go. about the, the first New 52 Aquaman was about that. And then yeah, the rebirth Aquaman was kind of about that. I can't remember which one of the ones I, ones I've got. I got a graphic novel uh I, was it the, God was help it me. The, I went and I bought a physical Yeah, the trench. I, I went and phys- I went and bought a physical comic cuz I'm like, you know, fucking how bad can an Aquaman story really be? And then I read it and I felt so sorry for the guy. Because, like, his inner dialogue is like, all these people expect me to be like this. And I'm just like, writers, you're doing wrong by this character. You're you're sitting there letting the people who hate him define him. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, again, yeah, that's the first, uh, the New 52 Aquaman narrative. And that was by Jeff Johns. And so, again, we say, so the character shouldn't face that at all, you think? Also- there's something intensely creepy about the way that presented Merida, oh, yeah. where they show her in like a pinup pose, and all the people who are who are busy thinking Aquaman sucks are like, "Oh wow, but he has a hot wife." It's like that's just gross, guys. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, if so, if he's not dealing with that, what is what is his perception? All right, so a couple of the things that you've got to try and like get around this. One is the name Aquaman. Aquaman is very much a superhero name of the 1940s. It's pretty silly. But if you want to call the story Aquaman, I feel it behooves you to create a character who would call themselves Aquaman. Now, I can think of a couple of ways to do that. Like, not not to throw stones at a culture that is not my own. There are hip-hop names that are dumber that people wear with more pride. Like, isn't there a guy currently going to jail who has the incredible rapper name of 6699? Takashi 6 something 9. Yeah. That kid also has- Yeah. That kid has a lot- No, now let's be real. That kid, A, like, is a fake- To quote the game, he's a fake blood. Uh, and- Ooh. And he also, like- I don't know what that means, but it sounds serious. He is pretending to be in a gang that he is not in, supposedly. Radio. Okay, and like, there's a lot of bullshit with that kid. So I don't know. He's a bad example. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, post Malone, because were we as a society ever truly pre Malone? Uh, yeah, like I-, I wish we were still pre Malone. <laughs> and I wish, he- and I wish, and I wish Post Malone would mackle less. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And like those, those are those are names and identities and branding that people are wearing and. I mean, uh, at last check, isn't a member of Wu-Tang Clan Method Man? Yeah, yeah. 
I, I'm, I'm, I'm putting, putting it out there that I'm, I'm completely ignorant of this stuff. I don't know for sure any of these things, but like, so I'm, I'm fine, I'll look it up. To get back, yeah, Method Man is, <laughs> yeah, he's one of the most popular. Right. I didn't realize right. this was a bad like, debate. Right. He's the one who showed up in Luke Cage. This is <laughs> that was Method Man. <laughs> Oh, I'm bad at this. <laughs> oh my god. I didn't realize. I, I, I thought you were gonna be like fucking way more like, I don't know, like you god. Nobody remembers you god. Do you think I know who that is? Nobody does. Nobody cares about you god. That nigga drives a taxi. <laughs> <laughs> point is, the, the, the point is that, that Method Man is like, that's, that is, a, I, I feel that Method Man Ex- like completely separated from the people you come to mind when you say those names. That is an equally comparable name to Aquaman. What you need is someone who can carry it off and someone who has the right poise and personality to carry it off. And I can think of a couple of different ways to do, um, to do Aquaman. One of which is, uh, to, to just full on lean into the 1940s identity. F, F the haters just go straight up. Yeah, I'm Aquaman. And people are like, that's stupid. He's like, I don't care. Well, hypothetically, Good for you. in story writing, nobody would tell him that's stupid. They'd all just be down for it, you know? Well, and, and I'm I'm also perfectly willing to have someone say, that's a really stupid name. And for him to go, ha neat, I don't care. Like, genuinely react to that with absolute, utter apathy. And and that's that's part of the problem. Like, a lot of the attempts to redeem Aquaman's name have come from a place of being embarrassed of it. They're like, you know, well- you know, this is the lot I have. I I am the Aquaman, and like, no, fuck it, lean in, be be it. Um, and the and like they they clearly tried to redeem the concept of Aquaman with with Arthur, uh, because they've chosen they've chosen a lot of factors playing together that really should work. Like, I'm I'm not that kind of bisexual guy. I don't find uh uh Jason Momoa personally attractive. But there is a there is a, a a range of archetypes, and he's like almost pure distilled one of them. <laughs> like if you like what he brings to the table, he brings all of it. Yeah, it's like like Ricardo Montalban. He's very <laughs> yeah yeah ab- absolutely no no that is a fantastic example because even if he's not your thing, you can recognize why a lot of people care. Um. He's also quite big. Like, he actually has a physical presence on screen compared to guys like- And even Ben Affleck's not a small guy. It takes a lot to make Ben Affleck look like a normal-sized guy. In Especially because he's in, like, fridge mode, gorilla man, um, in in Justice League. But- And they, and they give him a bunch of sea-related stuff of like, oh, yeah, he's, like, into- he, He's got this whole pirate shanty kind of thing going on. And he's, like, you know- cruising along getting a cold beer hanging out at a, a remote fishing village because no one else is going to care about it kind of stuff and like that's that's all trying to redeem the persona of aquaman but none of it's really addressing like what aquaman like where that name would even come from because you need to be from a culture or a place that would say the name aquaman is a good name and we don't come from that culture <laughs> Because it, it's interesting. Uh, God, what was the name of that fucking Namor like horror story? 
but it was just like it was almost like kind of like a Lovecraftian approach to Namor, where like you never saw him very much. He showed up like twice, but he was just being a monster in these other person's narrative. And I could see them calling that thing that they perceived an Aquaman, you know? Like it almost yeah. like it almost comes across as like a as a cryptid name, you know? Like the lizard man yeah. in North Carolina. Yeah, no, that, great, yeah, lean into that. And indeed, the, the, um, Justice, not the Justice League, the Batman v Superman video of Aquaman. Like, that actually works reasonably well as a aesthetic for Aquaman. He's a cryptid, which doesn't work well with Techno Atlantis. Eh, yes, you know, Wakantis, Wakantis, Atlantis. But, the, the, oh, please, it's white Wakanda. Well, it may be Hawaiian Wakanda. That'd be cool. Look at the trailer. Look. Everyone in those crowds is white as paste. Yeah, well, you know, all the white people in They're Hawaii king. call themselves Hawaiian. Well, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. And that's for them. That, that, is, that is for them to talk about and not me. I'll give you that. But I will say, in media, in that movie trailer, they wanted to present a mystical far-off country that's- exciting and inspiring and it's got technology and it's been isolated from all the concerns of our world and they've still got kings and also everyone there is really white like really white white skin pale white skin and blonde hair <laughs> which is why jason momoa showing up is going to stand out like a contrast point i guess that again, like rewatch the trailer that is a that is actually kind of an interesting point it's like I doubt anybody's gonna fucking. I remember reading that classically, the reason Atlanteans knew Aquaman was like a half, uh, half Earth, a uh, land person, half Atlantean, is because there are no blonde Atlanteans. Yeah. So it's like, uh, and in fact, the original, the, the original, original uh, Aquaman from like the very dawn of Aquamaning was meant to be the son of. Basically, Jacques Cousteau. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jacques Cousteau found Atlantis, went down there, and is like, hello, people of Atlantis, can I stay and look at your library? I want to be very respectful. I'm not a colonizer at all. And they were like, yes, fine. And then a princess of Atlantis says, the guy with the books, he's hot. <laughs> and that that's where Aquaman's very first origin story starts. It, it, like, that, that... <laughs> That's the thing that's probably just going to go away entirely, right? Like, they're not going to explore that. They're not going nah. to be like, hey, you're really not like us. And in addition to being from the land, what's going on? You know, like nothing. They're not going to touch that material. I really, and I don't have any opinion on James Wan to like say if he's got the chops for that. I just don't think DC's got it in him, you know? Cause like, like, I, I feel like even Black Lightning was like an uphill battle. And like, there's good points of identity and like superhero identity in that, in that, um, like kind of a spoilers for the first episode of season two of Black Lightning, where, uh, Thunder, like, you know, comes into conflict with her dad about like how they should do things. She always has a more stronger position on stuff. And so she decides she's going to go do something that at least he says she should. I think it was perfectly fine and she did the right thing. Whatever. That's me. You know, chill monger. Get things over. Um, and instead of going as Thunder, she goes as the Hoodie Woman and has her, like, Daredevil hallway fight. And and there's a lot more of that than I was expecting to see. Like, she only suits up as Thunder to do superhero stuff, like, two or three times this season so far. 
but she's constantly mm. mixing it up. And so, like, that consciousness of, now, I don't want to be Thunder doing this potentially illegal thing, or more illegal than being vigilante, I guess, is of note. That like, now, now, there is an interesting, and there is an interesting thing there with, uh, in the context of, of, of that movie. Again, like the thing with the stuntmen, they, it might be that it's just hard to get that suit and those effects lit well, put in camera position well, all set up well, uh, for, the series they might have to be sparing with the amount of thunder they get um so like i can i, I definitely want to bear that in mind when i watch the series about why we get so little thunder well we're getting lots um, of but thunder. it does mean that writers yeah it does mean that writers are pulled into that space especially a, a space that is too easy and too comforting and because it lets them do normal writing stuff stuff that isn't superhero stuff of the superhero avoiding superheroing comes across more as a not wanting to like draw the attention of her dad and b maybe not sully the association of black lightning and thunder with again these illegal things she's doing like she's robbing some people yeah she's like she goes i need to rob these bad people for a reason and it 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 comes across as like you know that perception she doesn't want to all you know affect again dilute the brand of black lightning and thunder by going off and doing something that may not be characteristic of them, even if that's what she, as Anissa, wants to do. Yeah. And we can look at the, um, I don't want to say it's called Identity Crisis, but I think it is. One of my, like, favorite Spider-Man stories of it becomes too hot, the block is too hot for Spider-Man, like, like, they're actually out for his head, so he creates, like, five alternate personas to do things. And they each do things differently. He's got like a like a Superman esque character, a prodigy. He's got kind of like a in the middle, you know, like roguish character called Ricochet. He's got the Hornet, which is just Spider Man again. And then he's got Dusk, which is supposed to be a villain. Doesn't mm-hmm. like primarily to buddy up to a villain who is the source of his like problems and I guess expose them or whatever. But like. It's like being an undercover cop. Like, are you going to shoot somebody, Spider-Man? Like, <laughs> if the trapster says, hey, shoot this guy, you going to do it? <laughs> no. Yeah. So it's like, is that his perception of villains? Like, like this character he's playing, this is what he thinks the people he's fighting are, you know? Yeah, and that that that's the thing about this stuff that I find so fascinating. And part of the reason why I love superheroes is because the superhero persona is creative. Every single superhero you ever see is creating that identity that they want to show the rest of the world. That is genuinely really interesting. And so when that gets deliberately sidestepped and you get characters who, despite existing in that creative space, explicitly avoid it, uh, like what they did with, um, with Mary in uh, Iron Fist season two. And again, I guess spoilers for Iron Fist season two, but I don't feel bad about spoiling it because it sucks and you shouldn't watch it. But one of the points of Bloody Mary, uh, Typhoid Mary and Mary Walker in the original comics for Daredevil was he couldn't tell they were the same person because their heart rates, voice patterns and stances were all tangibly different. And then they don't do that in Iron Fist season two, well, and I mean, they don't do anything with that well, at all. Yeah, they don't. They don't have the access to that, right? That's yeah, not a plot point. That's a superpower. I mean, that, that'd be cool. That is, <laughs> we were gonna get there, but 
And then there's Moon Knight. Uh, <laughs> Do you know how much of Iron Fist season two spends Iron Fist not Iron Fisting? But yeah, like we can that same narrative with like Moon Knight is like again that, that every everybody handles it differently. And um, one of the things they did was like the Jeff Lemire run, which is pretty recent. Basically, was the Lemire run or was it the Ellis run? I think it started with Ellis. No, this was after the Ellis run. This was Lemire. Basically, like attempts to like actually clinicalize his dissociative identity <laughs> disorder like say that he has mm-hmm. always had that problem you know he, that has always been a part of yeah. him even before he became boring it was it was not right because it was very psychodrama-y there's a lot of trippy stuff in it this is one this yeah is the one, you know i don't like it <laughs> yeah this is the one where he wakes up in an asylum or in a mental health facility but it's it's presented as an asylum as in like an evil place of mental torture instead of like yeah. a hospital you know mm-hmm. um and that because then it becomes like well then what is moon knight and then moon knight is the fourth persona that may or may not have been created by Konshu. and because i think okay in this scenario where in the scenario where Konshu is an actual being that person created the moon knight persona and enforced it on on um, mark specter right is he created that persona as much as he's like having it created for him and enforced upon him in the same way that like Aquaman would be a cryptid identity and Arthur Curry doesn't call himself Aquaman, but the media does, you know, like mm. how create like when it's a, when it's an identity that's given to you based upon your attributes, like did the Hulk say Hulk smash <coughs> before someone called him the Hulk? I don't know if the Hulk's not mm. a superhero, but he's, you know, relative to the material. What, like, what was the Hulk before, like, was there a person named the Hulk in Bruce Banner's head the whole time? Did the transformer the Hulk look at his hands and be like, I guess I'm a Hulk? Like, what's the narrative there, right? So, uh, in, in the context of the Hulk, um, and, and, like, there's a reason why I pushed Daredevil, uh, sorry, there's a, there's a reason I pushed Danny Rand to the side, uh, originally, because, like, he doesn't quite work in this, because in his case, the character of the Iron Fist is imposed on him and, you know, but in the case of the Hulk, what you're touching on here is a really interesting question. There is a whole story about where the Hulk came from in the context of Bruce Banner that that's a story that they've done yeah. and they haven't necessarily like, you know, decided to, to expand on that story and they don't necessarily want to just keep doing that story. Uh, so I don't know if that's currently canon, but in universe, the idea is that, yeah, there always was a Hulk in his head. It's just it didn't have a way of expressing itself. And what happened was he was an angry guy who had dissociative episodes. And then the Hulk happened and the the part of him that dissociated can grab the Hulk and take control of it. And that's where that person comes from. Uh, and, and this is the thing, like, just asking the question of where a secret identity comes from or what it represents or what it's doing is so much more interesting than just ignoring them and not using them. With all that in mind, the, the reason we bring up all these ideas in context of talking about superheroes is in part because we both like creating in the superhero space. And part of what incites creation in the superhero space, I think, is that the characters are creative themselves. 
So that's just that's just my little personal thought about why you get so many superhero role players or why so many people had their own visions of a superhero. And I think that's part of why I get so frustrated when people are given the chance to professionally make superheroes. They seem to want to be very uncreative. <laughs> it, that is the thing, right? Because it's it's again, like I said, in the first episode, they're meant to be like exceptional. You're meant to stand out. It's, it's not just a, a profession in your universe it's a thing that you have to go out of your way to do and you have to forge a new path while doing you have to you know you're not just as again that's kind of the difficulty with legacy characters where they're not forging their own path as much but you know a good superhero will have created themselves in certain ways not just you know whatever science happened to them or thing was given to them but this thing they create of themselves yeah um and all all of this creates that embarrassment, that cringe factor, and also it's just, it's just boring. It's just boring. We can, we, you, you can have so much of the story around Iron Fist. If it wasn't called Iron Fist, would be a perfectly serviceable, if a little weird, story about a billionaire kung fu guy. Like, you don't need to put in the stuff in your story- like, why was there extensive discussion of, of, of heroin distribution as a medical product in that series? It's, it's a- <laughs> anyway, okay. I'm going to get, we're going to go off on this again, again, <laughs> again. I'm sorry. I just really like superheroes. All right. <laughs> we do. And that's why even after all this time, we came back, you know? Yeah. The fire hasn't gone anywhere. <laughs> as ever always, that was Clay. <laughs> that was Tyler. And tune in next time when we're probably still going to be trying to fix Aquaman. <laughs> he doesn't need fixing. Y'all need that fixing. That said, uh, Clay. Y'all are the ones that got a problem. What's Blade's real name? Eric Brooks. I thought it was Snipes. Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a point to <sighs> end.